You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 48. It's nice to have your company for the first episode of a brand new year. Welcome to 2017 on the Team Guru Podcast. I'm looking forward to another year of wonderful guests and intriguing conversations. To kick off the year, we're chatting with Glenn Matson about sales. Glenn is a long-time sales pro, and these days he rates amongst the best sales trainers in the U.S., During our chat, he completely changes my understanding of the art of selling. Glenn convinces me that most of us, whether we like to admit it or not, are in sales. We talk about the terrible reputation the sales industry has and why. And Glenn nails down the most important concepts that separate cheesy, ineffective product pushers from professionals who forge respectful and productive commercial relationships. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Glenn Matson. Glenn Matson, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks, David, so much. I greatly appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Glenn, as you can probably appreciate, those of us in the rest of the world, somewhere that's not America right now, it's hard for us to talk to someone who is from America and not want to talk about your new president. Here in Australia, (laughs) we have looked on with bemused fascination through the election, through the campaign, the inauguration, and now his early days in office. What is the vibe on the ground over there in the U.S.? You know, the vibe's very interesting. It is very divided, meaning that you have individuals that they were kind of fed up with not necessarily just the results, but the entire process that was going on and everything being very vanilla and politically correct. And, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, Trump just he really went after that, that feeling that people had. And Hillary Clinton, regardless of her strengths and weaknesses, was a lifetime politician. So she represented everything he was attacking. Now, you know, whoever won, won. And obviously Trump's in in, uh, the White House now. And you look at the feelings, as you mentioned in the very beginning, and what's happening at the old water cooler, right? What's happening? If you look at it, I find that most people historically will fall into kind of three buckets. And one bucket would be, hey, I not sure if I like Trump, but I really like what he thinks he's going to do or he says he's going to do. So I I enjoy the fact that change is going to happen. But they're quiet people. Mm. They don't say much. The other person is really against Trump. And they're typically very outspoken. And then you have the third person who says, look, regardless of who is president, we have to give them the fair chance. We have to say whoever's hired is hired. Now let's get to work. And let's stop sitting here and browbeating and fighting and arm wrestling just because your candidate didn't get hired, right? And usually they're quiet too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's one loud person. It's just the person yeah. who's against Trump. 
So, yeah, they're kind of the louder ones. Yeah. So usually. someone that didn't exist there in your in your characterizations was the person who's loudly a supporter of Trump. You mentioned someone who who likes the ideas of what he says he'll do, but you never you didn't say there was anyone who really likes Trump. Is that person missing from the landscape? Well, they're there now. If you have a conversation, it's taboo, is what the issue is. Ah, Dave, okay. Where you're sitting around and you say, "Hey, I like Trump." Well, the person next to you may say, well, me too. And all of a sudden you and I all have a dialogue. But the person across the desk will say, I don't like him and this is why. And they have all their reasons, which is fine. But they're typically much more loud spoken and free with their feelings than historically the others. Because they, they probably Most- feel more justified in their position. They, they probably feel as though it's far more acceptable to be against Trump than it is for him. But on evidence, that's actually not true, is it? Because he won the election. He won it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's a thing a lot of people are just became frustrated with the normality of what we would consider government. Mm. You know, the the vested interests, where we're going to spend our money and time and energy. So I just think that what was doesn't need to be what will be. And I think that that hit a lot of people's hearts and feelings. Now, who he is and the message he sent is obviously two different things also. So there's a lot of people that like the message that may not like is decision-making, I guess, is probably the right way of saying it. Well, it certainly or his makes... filters, or lack of filters for communication, yeah. <laughs> but, you know... He's free-wheels <laughs> it, still doesn't won. he? Free-wheels <laughs> yeah. it. Well, what, yeah. whatever, whatever way it turns out, it certainly makes for some fascinating viewing. It's probably a little bit more interesting from my distance than it is from your distance, because whatever comes, whether that's good or bad, you have to live with that, whereas we will essentially just get to watch watch on. So it'll be interesting times ahead, but hey, we're, we're going to talk about sales today, sales and leadership. And I wanted to know from your point of view, as a leader and as a salesman, what did Trump do well? Because whether you love him or hate him or, or, or you sit somewhere in between, he's obviously done something really successfully through the whole presidential campaign. And to this point now, what did he, what did he do that was good? Well, he did a, a couple of things that were quite honestly, pretty exceptional in, in a couple of fronts and shocking that the other candidate didn't do these. Now, Dave, when we look at selling and we look at sales for a moment, people, we have to, this is a fundamental, fundamental rule of selling. People will buy for only one of two reasons. They either buy to get out of pain or they buy for gain, pain or gain. Mm-hmm. Now there's only two states of time that we can be in with these two emotions. It's either the present or the future. So we can either be in pain today, we can be in pain tomorrow, or we can be in pleasure today or pleasure for tomorrow. Now, when you look at that, those are the four absolute fundamental driving forces that causes people to buy. So people buy to avoid or get out of pain or for pleasure. The problem is, not the problem, but one of the things that traditional sales misses is that we justify our decisions intellectually. So why we're doing it, is it the right person, is it the right price, is it the right terms and conditions, that's all intellectual. And unfortunately, 99% of most of us out there sell very traditional. And traditional is, let me tell you the features and benefits of my product, let me tell you why you should buy from me, let me tell you why we're better than everybody else. Those are all benefits, that's selling to the intellect. Yeah. The problem is no one's ever said to the child, right, that little kid inside of our head and our heart, that says, hey man, you want this? Yeah. So if you look at what happened here months ago, Trump had a better ability 
touch upon America's pain than did Hillary. She spent most of her time on intellectual information. So when he says we're going to make America great again, are you tired of the companies leaving the Americas and our jobs are disappearing? When he says, are you tired of that invokes emotion? Yeah. Emotion is what creates people's decisions. The intellect is what makes us feel like we made the right decision. So what Trump did very well is he actually figured out what they were first. And then second is he played on those emotions. And I noticed that the other camp just didn't do a lot of that. And that's a massive difference between selling the way people buy and or selling the way you want to sell, which is very traditional and it misses the boat 99% of the time. You are probably the third or the fourth person who on this podcast has told me that we buy on emotion and then we justify rationally. So we're going to buy it anyway because our emotion has decided whether it's to to stop something that is hurting us or to give us some excitement about something that we're going to gain. But then we, we use our brain to justify what we've already done. If it's so well understood in your world of sales, why do so few people do it well? <laughs> well, those are, two, Dave, that's the magic dust, right? And those are two different questions. Because one, for instance, when you say you're on the third or fourth person. So back in the late, early 60s, excuse me, David Sandler created the Sandler training program, selling system. And in the beginning, he got an awful lot of pushback, an awful lot of uh, ridicule because he was the only one that said, hey, don't sell features and benefits. Stop with the value proposition. Stop telling people why they should buy from you. Why don't you discover what their issues are first, mm. then connect it to your product? Yeah. So for years, you have all these nationally, internationally known sales processes. If you look at all of them besides Sandler, we're still the only one 40 plus, 50 plus years ago that are still saying people buy emotionally and they justified intellectually. Now, others have jumped on the bandwagon. But if you look at even those that say it, if you look at how they teach people to sell, unfortunately, they're still doing value props. They're still doing features and benefits. They're still doing tell, not ask. Yeah. And selling is all about the questions you ask, not the information you give. And that's the problem most people miss. You're absolutely right. It seems so basic, but so many people miss the mark. Hey, so we've just been through the Christmas New Year period, as everyone knows. And in fact, this is my first podcast of 2017, Glenn. So, so uh, you're first, first off the rank for the year. Now, awesome. over that, yeah, it's exciting. Over that Christmas period, though, we all come across a billion salespeople through the shopping malls where we're walking around. People are trying to sell, sell, sell. I have some interest in buying, of course, because I've got a whole bunch of presents and gifts that I need to get organized for Christmas Day. It seems to me as I walk around partly conscious of the quality of the salespeople who are around me, that sales is one of those jobs that you can just fall into at a fairly low level. It just sort of is in, in some ways, it's a bit of a starter's job. A lot of kids are doing it when they're, when they're fresh out of school or maybe while they're still in high school. So that's the beginning of sales. But the type of sales that you're talking about is a really sophisticated, professional, cognitively aware sales. What's the journey between the two? Well, first of all, do you agree? Am I right when I say sales is one of those professions you can just sort of fall into? In some ways, it's an entry-level job, but can take you all the way through the upper echelon of sophisticated sales. You know, it's, it's interesting. And you're right. Most people that first get into sales, for some, it was because the only job that they could get. Yeah. Right. Now, sales is, a, is an open architect environment that basically will take everybody. 
And then they let the process wean itself out, meaning everyone believes selling is easy, mm. right? Hey, listen, if you have a gift of the gab, you can talk with people, you're an, you're an extrovert, you'll be great in sales. Quite honestly, your best salespeople are introverts, not extroverts. Why is that? Because they're best, thinking. Well, because you know your extroverts love people. Mm. And part of the issue about loving people is then you have something called need for approval. Need for approval means you don't want others to reject you. So you're amazingly good at bonding and rapport. You're amazingly good at small talk. The reason you're amazingly good at all that is because you like people to like you. So a weakness created a strength. Right. So your, your fear of rejection created this massive strength where everyone knows you, you're great, you're very articulate, you can talk to everybody. But when it's time to close, close for business, close for money, close for commitment, plant your feet, ask tough questions, that uh -huh. same strength now becomes a weakness. Because you, you want to be liked. Because I want to be liked. So yeah. it causes fear of rejection. Right. So your extroverts usually are not your, you know, they have to learn how to become better at sales. It's your introverts that I'll take all day long. Really? Dave, it's the guys that, oh, yeah, I don't like people. I'll take them all day long. <laughs> I can teach them. Right. I can teach you how to. Yeah, right. But with the guy who's an extrovert, I don't have to teach him the how to there. I got to unteach him yeah, and unsuck out of his brain all the negative beliefs that he has. You got to rein him in. Oh, yeah. But if you go back to a, a neophyte, right, someone brand new in selling, you hope during the holiday period, they don't, there's a rule that we have, which is if you sound, act, and look like one, you're going to be treated like one. Right. right? I mean, you sure you're like me walking through the mall last minute. And someone walks over, hey, can I ask you a question? I know yeah. what they're going to ask. Yeah. I mean, the answer is no, get yeah. away from yeah, me. Yeah, right? one more credit card. Yeah, I just think I want one more quick question for you. <laughs> but it was interesting because I was leaving the mall, bag full, you know, my, my hands full of bags and stuff. And this one woman did a great job. She turns to me and goes, you're probably not looking for one more gift to put in your stocking, <laughs> are you? That's not and bad. And I was like, you son of a gun. That was a good question. It's because you asked me a good question, I'll, I'll talk to you. Yeah. Now, we have something called the amateur phase. In the amateur phase, the lifeline of, of a professional salesperson. And it goes from being a dummy, right? You're brand new. So imagine me when I first got started in sales, I worked for a department store. In the very beginning, I didn't know anything about the department I was in. And I was in major appliances. So I was in the heaters and the dishwashers and the refrigerators and all those type of things. So, but I remember when people used to come over, Dave, and say, hey, can you help me? And I said, sure. Would this dishwasher do its job? I said, I'm not sure. So why don't you tell me what you're trying to do and let's look it up. So huh. we would together discover if this was the right dishwasher. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, what happened over time was this guy, young kid who'd only came in on weekends is selling a lot inside that department. I was. So then they came and said, hey, Glenn Madsen, we don't know what you're doing, but you're doing awesome. So we're going to invest money in you. We're going to send you off to learn about our products. It was GE and Sony and all those ah. companies. I went and became awesome. Yeah. Right. I knew everything. Yeah. Features, benefits, the whole thing. So then the next time I'm in, in the department store and someone walks over and goes, hey, can you help me with this? I said, absolutely. Do you know, will this clean my dishes? I said, man, will that clean your dishes? Why don't you sit down for a second? I got a PowerPoint. Let me walk you through the power, the ampage, how the water flows, what it does to rip off their meat. When it gets into the bottom, this is how it grinds it. I, got, I know everything. Yeah. So in that amateur phase, Dave, what happens is, is that we spend more of our time telling everyone what we've learned, right? So a rule that your people should listen in or listen for is product knowledge used too much or too early actually reduces your likelihood of selling. Right. That's a good, hey, that's a firm rule. I like that. Product right. knowledge rule. used yeah. too early reduces your chance of a sale. Yeah. 
So I'm sitting there telling all these people, and then I have to go to the third phase. The third phase is when you're a pro. See, I was stuck in the amateur phase. Mm -hmm. Amateur phase, I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. The pro phase is I still know everything, but I act like I'm new. Right, okay. The reason I act like I knew is I'm not giving the information away. I'm going to ask you questions, Mm -hmm. right? So, Dave, if someone comes to you and starts talking to you about leadership, you know everything about leadership. You're a leadership guru. But you're not going to sit there and tell them everything you know. You're going to sit there and say, well, can I ask you some questions about what's going on with your team? Yeah. Right. So the pro uses, at least in this ratio, someone upstairs gave you two ears and one mouth. A great pro salesperson. (laughs) You got it, right? A pro talks 30% of the call. 30% of the time, the pro talks. An amateur, the amateur talks 70%. That's good. And you can see how that happens. Hey, tell me, when you went away and learned all about the dishwashers and fridges, did your sales drop? They did. Yeah. Because I was picturing that that guy who who came in on weekends who didn't know anything about it. If I'm a customer and he's he's opening the book and we're learning together, there's something really authentic about that, really, really yeah. real. And I know this guy's not trying to swindle me because we're just working it out together. But as you say, that middle phase, the amateur phase, you knew enough to be dangerous. You knew just enough to turn off the customer. Yeah. I like and, it. And, and again- when you say turn off the customer, you're, you're right on the money. And most of us don't realize this, where if you're new, well, not even new, if you're selling, what happens to some people is I want to prove how much I know. I want to prove my credibility. I want to prove my vast knowledge, right? My storehouse of knowledge. Yeah. So the only way I can show that to Dave is by showing up and throwing up, right? I just show up and tell you everything I know. <laughs> show up and throw up. That's throw good. Up. Right, right. Versus, and again, we said it before, but versus if I know my product knowledge and I know what it does, why wouldn't I ask discovery questions first? Why wouldn't I start asking some questions? So if you, again, if you really want to show people how much you know and, and how credible you are, it will always be done on the questions you ask. Again, not the information you give. And your people, if they're listening, it's called the 70-30 rule. 70% of your time during a sales call should be listening. Yep. Which means you have to be a master at asking questions, which also means that you also have to be a master at shutting your brain off. So if I ask you a question, Dave, and you answer it, but what I'm doing is thinking about what my next move is, I'm not listening to you. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to myself, right? So you always have to be a third person to your own selling events where you're not emotionally involved. If you're not emotionally involved, you can live in the present moment. If you live in the present moment, I can hear everything you say, the words, the intent. That's why you can tell people when they've ever done joint work before, they go out, somebody else. And David, if you and I were going out on a sales call and I heard you sell and I'm watching you sell, how come I can pick up so much more information than you can, but you're the senior? Mm-hmm. More times than not, it's because you've got stuff going on in your noodle. Yeah. You're not paying attention, right? Yeah. So. There's another rule that we have is you have to be a third person to your own selling events. You really should be completely unemotional during the sales call. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation.
There's so much there that's really interesting, Glenn. You've obviously talked about this before, mate. Very good. Now, when I think about salesmanship, and I'm no salesman. In fact, I'm one of those people who says I don't like being a salesman. I I didn't ever have a job as a youngster where I I solved fridges like you did. I see myself as a bit of an anti-salesman. And whereas I have friends who, who love being a salesman. In fact, I've got a friend who I know will be listening to this who loves the challenge of sales. I just don't get that. It's, it's, a, it's a foreign concept to me. But anyway, with my limited understanding of sales, I get what you're talking about. In fact, I think I would intuitively be good at the listening rather than talking all the time. I think that had come quite naturally to me. And I reckon one of my goals would be to use a tool that I'm quite familiar with, something called Herman Brain's Dominant Instrument. Do you know about that? Herman Brain, HBDI. So it tells us that that people generally think in four different ways or a combination of four different ways. They either think in facts, in processes, in big picture, so history and future, and for people. They think about the emotions that connect people. So as a salesman, I would be asking questions, trying to work out, all right, is this a fact person? Do they want to know how many pixels are on this TV and how much electricity is going to use and all the, all the facts about this? Do they want to know the process? So how easy is it going to be to have this delivered, to have it shipped and all those kind of questions? Or do they want the history in the future? So you know, why was this TV made? Is it better than the old TV in what way? And what's coming next? What technology does this TV connect with? Or do they want to be sold on the people? How's this going to make your kids feel? Your kids are going to love this or your parents are going to love this. That's what I imagine I would be trying to pick up as a salesman. Would I be a terrible salesman or am I somewhere on the mark there? No, no, you're fine. And what you're doing is you're, you're trying to get an understanding of the type of prospect or the type of person you're talking with, right? Mm. So you're going through decision filters and they have some that are based on your personality type, right? Yeah. You're dominant, you're an influencer, state of relator. They have others that are based on birth order. Then you have others that are based on neuro-linguistic programming in terms of they are, they go away or towards people. So all these filters do fit, Dave, absolutely. But when we get to the core of it, if they think based on facts, if they think in process, big picture emotions, if they're dominant influencer, state of relators, doesn't make a difference. Granted, it does make a difference in how we communicate and the mm. words we use, but they still have to have pain. Right. right? They still okay. have to have the ability to do that. Now, you mentioned before that you're not a sales guy, mm. right? And if you look at your sales, sales is really a chess game between two people or a person in a, in a corporation. It's maybe why your, your buddy loves it. It mm. really is. It's way harder than other people think it is. But when we look at sales, it's really three fundamentals of sales that most people have to take a look at to cohesively make sure they work together to be successful. And that's, we call it the success triangle. And it's the technique, which is basically the strategies and tactics. That's one piece of it. You know, that's what do you say, when do you say it, who do you say it to, how do you say it? The other piece is the behavior, your goals, your plan, your action steps, what do you have to do, etc. And then the third is your attitude. And your attitude is your desire, your commitment, do you take responsibility? Do you make excuses? How do you feel about yourself? All that stuff we talked about before, about bravery in terms of controlling your emotions and your self-esteem. So everyone wants to know the technique stuff. How do I do this? How do I improve in this? Dave, you've been doing your job a long time. I've been doing my job a long time, right? I've been doing it for 20 years. Last probably 10 or 11 years, we've been number one, two or three in the world with Sandler, right? Which is the largest training company in the world. But very few people 
will spend money or very a lot of people will spend money to train in tactics and strategies. But very in often is it the problem? More frequently, it's they're not doing it enough, which then usually leads back to the attitude. So when we work with individuals and companies, we do have to fix their technique. But I also have to make sure their behavior is in the right spot so they're doing the right stuff to get in front of the right people. Mm-hmm. Lastly is I got to work on that attitude. I got to make sure their desire, their commitment, they're not making excuses. They have the fortitude. They have the conviction. They have you know, the comforts. All those things inside the head, the heart, and the gut drive our behavior, which allows us to use the technique. So when we do training, you have to work on all three of them or it just won't work. It's nothing more than entertainment. I like that. Technique, behavior, and attitude. When you talk about attitude, again, it takes me back to those awful days when I was trying to buy my Christmas presents. And there seems (laughs) to be two people who work in the shops, in the store. There's someone who thinks they're there to work the till, that when you come up to buy something, that's what they're there for, to take your money and off you go. And then there are others who have grasped the concept that they're actually there to help you make a decision. They're there on behalf of the store owner to try and increase sales. And it's at that point, there's a whole different ball game. And that person can either do that well or do it badly, depending on so many other things that you've talked about. What's the difference between those two people? The person who thinks they're just there to take money and the person who is beginning the process of consciously becoming a better salesman. Well, you know, some could be, well, both could be good salespeople, right? It's the intent of why you're doing this. And I think that if your intent really is not, you know, in my mind, everything you do has to be mutually beneficial, Mm. everything Mm -hmm. on both sides, right? So even if the prospect says, hey, can you run me a quote, but they're not qualified yet, that's not in your best interest either yet. So everything that has to happen during a sales process does have to benefit both sides. And if you're just there to make the sale and, you know, get in, get out and, and make the sale and, you know, press hard, third copy is yours and you run like hell to get the hell out of there. No matter what business you're in, right? That's a that's a very short lifespan yeah. of someone in that business. Can they make money? Yes, of course they can. There's people who do that all the time. But I think in the world of professional selling, one of the things that I always like to ask people is how much reoccurring do you do? How often does your own clients come back to you? Yeah. And if you're in the world of single sales and not your clients, and again, assuming that your product can do this and they're not coming back, Mm. then you got to take a look at how you're going to market because they're buying it despite you, not because of you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Huge difference. Yeah. So now you made mention before, I think it's a good thing for all your listeners to make sure that they hear, because it was a great point that you made mediocrity and greatness you and I could speak for, for hours just on those differences. And I'm a shrink by background, so I gravitate more to the head stuff to begin with. But one of the things you mentioned is really important for your listeners to make sure they capture. You may use the word decision. Your best salespeople create an environment that allows buyers to make decisions. Now, that decision may be no. That decision may be yes. It's a decision. Your ineffective salespeople they don't create an environment that makes decisions. A think it over is not a decision. A think it over, at least in North America, by statistical proof. When someone says, Dave, this is awesome, but you got to give me the weekend. Dave, yeah. this is fantastic. You're the first person I've talked to. We got to go bounce it off at two more people. Hey, Dave, I really like what we've talked about with the leadership, but can you give me you know, the weekend? I got three more people to talk to and I got to bring it up the food chain. If we just say, okay, and hang up, 
87% of the time, we call it the stroke and smoke. They stroke your ego, then they blow smoke up your caboose, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when you have someone stroking your ego, what's about to happen is they're going to let you down lightly by giving you a think it over when the reality is no. No, the answer is no. The answer is no. So if you remember when, at least it was for when I was growing up, my mom always used to say before I got grounded, right? It was never, it was never what you said. It was how you said it. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. But prospects know they can't be honest with you unless you give them permission. So Dave, if I love what you said, but I just, I'm not buying into it and you never gave me permission to be honest with you. Right. I would just say, Dave, this has been phenomenal. You've done a great job. Stroke, stroke, stroke. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I have my partners going out of town next week. When he comes back, let me mull this through with them. I'm leaning towards it. I think it's awesome. Why don't you give me two weeks and we'll, we'll get back in touch? Yeah, and you wow. say, okay, Yeah. no appointment set, no next step set, no understanding of what's going to happen if my partner says no, if my partner says yes, no understanding of what I want to do without my partner, nothing. Yeah. You hang up, right? right? That's not a decision. And I would, by the way, I would be a sucker for that situation. I'd be thinking, yeah, Glenn loves it. This is a go. All right, Glenn, right. give me a call back. I'd be, yep, I'm an amateur when it comes to that. Nah, just stroke and smoke. And by the way, 90% of the people listening would be like, yeah, I'm with Dave. Yeah, I right. would do the same thing, right? Yeah. So there's clues when you know. But the other thing is always give your prospects or your clients clarity on what decisions have to be made and a no is okay. Mm -hmm. So for instance, Dave, you and I are first starting to have a conversation. You can say something to the effect of, hey, Glenn, I know, you know, Nancy referred you uh, to me. I know we have about 45 minutes on the telephone. Listen, I can't assume that what Nancy and I have done in her organization is going to be a good fit for you. Obviously, she loved it, but I'm not sure it's a good fit for you because I don't know your world. At the end of our conversation, if we find out that what I did for Nancy is not a good fit, by all means, you can say to me, Dave, love it, but I'm not a good fit. And vice versa, by the way, if I find out that what I'm really good at is not part of what you're looking for, I'm going to tap out and say, Dave, I don't think I'm a good fit for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why would you not have an agreement with your buyer that it's we, okay yeah. for you to say no? And I can say no. We might not it be wrong for each other. Yeah. Right. Takes all the anxiety away. But how do you do that when you're selling fridges on the, on the apartment store? Well, I stunk then too. <laughs> so, but you know, when you're sitting down with someone and you can really figure out what and why they're buying a refrigerator, there's someone who shop to get educated. There's others who shop to buy. And part of what we have to do as a, as a professional salesperson is to differentiate between those, especially in a, in that kind of environment where they just walking off the street and I'm selling it on appliance. But if you're selling leadership skills, it's a little different, obviously, but Still giving your client or the prospect the opportunity to be honest, right? There's a rule that I'm pretty anal about. It's in my office. It's huge, pretty big size font. It's, it's in a picture in my office that a client gave me. And it says, search for truth. Stop selling products. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I like truth that. is a yes or a no. I'm cool with that. If you sell a product, the only thing you want to hear and the only thing you are hoping to hear and the only thing you will hear in your mind is a yes. So every time they say no, you try to position it. Every time they say, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure about that. You position it. In my mind, if they say, you know, I just don't know if this is a good fit, I'm going to turn and say, that's fine. No sweat. So you don't think it's a good fit? Uh, I'm not really sure. Sure. It's okay to say no. No, I don't think it's a good fit. Fine. So walk me up to speed on how you got there. I'm okay with whatever answer they want, but I'm going to surely tell you I will sell a heck of a lot more than the person who, who doesn't get truth. Yeah. 
So when they're out there doing it, features and benefits and telling you why, just stop and say, you know what? If I uncover truth, truth will get me the emotion. Truth will get me the intent. Truth will lead me down a path that makes a decision. And as long as you're okay with that, your buyer senses you're not trying to push them into something, right? And that's that old stigmatism of a salesperson, which is that guy, right? I don't want to be seen as that person, that pushy. The pushy salesman. Yeah. Because they don't take no for an answer. Yeah. If you really look at the what a great salesperson is, like your friend, and then someone who's an amateur, the amateurs are in your face. The amateurs sit on the side of their chair. The amateurs always talking, right? The amateur doesn't want to hear the word no. The pro is okay with that. They sit in the back of their chair. They don't sit in the front of their chair. They're relaxed. Yeah, right. Anxious. Right? That's good. I really like that. What you talked about creating an environment for a, an honest decision. So that you, you're giving your client or your p- potential client the permission to say no, because then you can tap into why and have a, an honest conversation about where their emotions are. If you don't give them that permission to have an honest conversation, they're going to do what you said, the stroke and smoke. Oh, you've done a great yeah. job here. Let me get back to you tomorrow. And that's a no, because you haven't given the permission to be honest. Yeah. Even like, for instance, the phone call I got on right before you was a, for coaching and it's a business owner. And he just said, look, up front, I just want to let you know, I'm not really too big on coaches, but you came extremely highly recommended. Why don't you tell me what you can do for me? Right. And of course, I just said it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do anything for you. And we're having this conversation. I said, well, why do you think you even need coaching at all? And he goes, well, I know I need coaching. I just don't know who to use. I said, well, that makes sense. But why do you think you even need it? And what it came down to is he wants coaching, but his friend is his coach currently. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. So that's not a good dynamic. Well, you know, if for some it's great for others, it's not. The hard part is when it's not working, which Mm. is what his problem was. Yeah. So Dave, when I said to him, I said, oh, you have a coach. It's your friend. I said, that's fantastic. So you guys don't have any of the uncomfortabilities. You know, already know each other. That's a piece of cake. So you just took this out of common courtesy, the phone call. And he said, no, I do have a coach. And yes, he's my friend. And I said, oh, so don't worry about it. Our phone call will be short. Because I'm sure you love what he's doing and you're happy with the results. <laughs> and you know what he said? He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> All he said. So I said, David, now I can't hang up. What do you mean by that? So he told me and I kind of knew what it was. So I did a third person story and just basically said, you know, a lot of times I talk to executives and blah, blah, blah. They have friends that are in the business that are coaches. They love their friend, but they don't know how to tell them they've outgrown them as a coach. So they're stuck. Yeah. Is that where you are? And he said, yes. So it took me 15 minutes to figure out what his real problem was. And it took him 45 minutes to overcome that problem to become a client of mine. Wow. Well done, Glenn. That's a good sale. No, 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 no. He had the pain though. He had, his issue was, is how do I tell my friend I'm done? Yeah. So if I didn't give him, if I was still looking for the sale, I'd be sitting there trying to convince him why to use us as coaching. Instead, I listened to what he said. I let him bring me where he wanted to go. I let him overcome the real objections by me asking the right questions. It's self-discovery. That's what really what selling is. It's self-discovery. The way you describe it, it sounds so much like an art form rather than a, a kind of a process that's driven by take this step and then this step. You really make it sound more like an intellectual process. So I really like it. Glenn, who is a salesman but doesn't know it? Who out there is battling through a profession where they need to take on some of the advice that you're offering, learn some of the skills of a salesman, 
but doesn't even know they're in that game? Well, I'm going to be one of those ivory tower type of people because I think that's everybody. (laughs) I thought you might say that. Yeah. Now, not everybody needs what we do by any means. But if you say who has to sell in my mind, if I look at any position of any company, you do have to sell. You have to sell your ideas. You have to sell your you. Sometimes you have to sell the concepts. You have to get other people to buy into it. You have to have other people to listen. You have to have other people to get motivated by what you say. So if you look at sales, sales is just a process of communicating with people to have them take some sort of action. And if you look at it that way, we all have to sell. Yeah. And there's, there's even that great book that sold so well. Was it Everyone to Salesman? Is I think it's something as plain as that. And it gives you the idea that, that we're all in sales. Why Why then are, are so many of us reluctant to admit that we're in sales? Is it because we suspect that we will be bad at it inherently? Is it because salesmen have a bad reputation as that pushy salesman that we talked about before? Why is it we have so many so much trouble accepting that we're in that game? That's a great question. And I don't know how it is we're in your neck of the woods, but out in America's People have changed their title, right? You're not a sales, you're not mm. even account representative anymore, mm. right? You're a vice president. You're, right. I mean, it's just, they change all these terminologies. But the people who are afraid of selling or have a stigmatism towards it, if you look at general public, and Dave, I've done this with 300 people in the room, I've done it with 13,000 people in the room, it doesn't change the outcome. If I put up the word, have you ever seen password on TV? It could be an America's game. No. Okay, so password is you're sitting in front of me. We have a TV audience, so there's a TV camera right in front of us, and there's probably 50 people in the room. And password is where I give you clues, and you have to guess the word. And the more words you guess, and the faster time period you do, is whoever wins, wins. Mm -hmm. So the celebrities are the ones that usually give the clues. So if I had something that I yelled out, you know, for instance, I would say, Dave, Doberman, uh, Border Collie, uh, Pug, you would turn around and say, Dog. Right. Then I would turn around and say Victorian farm style. And you'd say house. Say right. So, (laughs) hey, so I bring up two people. I do it all the time. Bring up, uh, you know, Mary Jo Public and and Joe Public. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, now leave, leave the stage. They both leave. And I say to the audience, I say, team, now we're going to play password. You have to yell clues. You can't use the word sales. So they understand that we are trying to describe a salesperson. Right. Right. So I bring out the woman first, and they always start nice in the beginning. Commission, Willie Loman, back slapping, cigar smoking, polyester wearing, commission-based, liar, (laughs) right? And they usually say senator, but then they get great salesperson. (laughs) Then what happens is I bring out the male, and then I say to the audience, don't forget the animals. And then they'll say things like, in your face, money hungry, shark. Wow. Right. All vicious stuff. Yeah. Vicious. And everyone gets salesperson. They all laugh. They think it's funny. Yeah. said, here's my problem, team. I'm fighting against that perception in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You're sitting there listening to people say what they think of your profession. Right. (laughs) And they think of their own profession. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting at a a CPA conference for uh, accountants. And there's about 400 people in the room. We did this exercise. And the, one of the teams that were together and they're around tables, one of the team members says, yeah, but we don't like to be in sales. It's dirty. 
It's disgusting. I mean, who wants to be considered a salesperson? This is a 58 year old man. Right next to him is the founding member. The founding member stands up. Now, I'm not really sure what's happening. He just says this out loud in front of everybody. The founding member stands up and starts to basically swear, uh-huh. takes his laptop, throws it across the room, oh. and is kind of bumbling as he's leaving, which is, you know, this is ridiculous. What the hell's going on? And he's the rainmaker for the company. Right. What he just heard was his number two man, who's supposed to be taking over the firm, just say to him, I hate being a salesman. Hate being a sales guy. And everyone at the table goes, yeah, I, me too. Yeah. So the rainmaker just realized literally seven months, because I know it had seven months before he's to retire, that he just found out that his entire team who's supposed to be paying his retirement money Hate selling. Yeah. Hate selling. (laughs) What a place you want to be. (laughs) Mate, it is. You really opened my eyes to selling. All right. I've got a couple of more quick questions and we'll move on. The world is changing. How does sales change with technology? Obvious question. Sure. Now, with technology, there's some things to help speed up the process. There's definitely some tools out there that help you from a standpoint of prospecting, Mm -hmm. right? And getting in front of those people. Yeah. Um, dealing with the millenniums, they'll say that a lot of it is done via internet or back and forth just because that's how they grew up. But selling for the most part is still a face-to-face or a voice-to-voice process. And if you're think selling is going back and forth through an RFP or sitting down and someone sends you an email and you get together a proposal and send it to them, that's not selling. You're just a clerk. Yeah. Selling is the dynamics of having an interaction with somebody. Um, even if it has to be emailed. But again, in today's technology, a lot of it has helped with the prospecting piece of it. And then also the proof of concept, which is let me show you how what we do will fit your world, more like the presentation area. Dave, those two have been pretty, pretty high tech. Yeah. They're trying to do the middle piece in high tech, and it's just not working in many different industries. In some industries it does, but that's, again, it goes back to order taking, not selling. Yeah, of course, you can sell lower order things like toasters and MP3 players or or phones or iPods or whatever it is online. But when it comes to selling leadership programs or or something that's substantial, something that's substantially more valuable, even a material thing like a car, of course, people want face-to-face. So I, I thought that would be the answer. Technology helps us with the front end stuff, the prospecting forming relationships, narrowing down people to who is a real buyer and who is not. But when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, we still need to be in front of people or on the phone to people having some human contact. Yeah, for the most part, absolutely. You know, because like you said, a car, you already know what you're going to buy. So just go online and buy it. So your child already said, I want that red, you know, BMW, I want that red Ford, whatever the heck it is. Then you just go online and buy it. It doesn't happen that way, does it? No, but for some it does, but you still have to know what you want. Very few people can go online without having any idea, do all the research, figure out what they want. Don't touch it. You can't look at it. You know, you don't have that kinesthetic feel to it. Yeah. You can't talk to anyone to make sure it's right. So a lot of people over 31 still need that face-to-face interaction. And ironically enough, a lot of people that are under their 20s are going back to the way that you and I operate. Oh, they're going post-modern, hey? Post-modern. Yeah. Very good. All right, Glenn, you have opened my eyes to the world of sales. I really appreciate that. Now, I've got four quick questions before I let you you go. Glenn, tell me about the Saturday night you most look forward to. Big party, lots of people you know, or an intimate dinner with your closest friends. I'll take either. 
I'm actually very enjoying, I do a lot of traveling. So hanging out with three or four or five couples in our house or going out to dinner is fabulous. Or this last Saturday, I just went to one of my good friends, 50th birthday party, and there was a ton of people there. So both are great, just entirely different. If I had to pick, I'd probably yeah. have the more intimate dinner. Good. You, which oh, that was then my next point. You do have to pick, Glenn. So thank you for picking. But you're you're <laughs> somewhere near the fence. All right, I, I get that. Yeah. What about this one? Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Hmm. I'm program myself pretty good here to do. I don't daydream very much. I do, but when I daydream, it's for daydreaming. I actually. Have time Scheduling. Uh, I would say, yeah, I do actually. Um, I would <laughs> Daydreaming, say getting, 10.30 to yeah, 11. Yeah. It, it is, it's, it's pathetic. Um, it's usually when I work out. I would say uh, getting stuck in the details because we have massive amount of projects going on with a lot of different details. All right. Good. Now, I yep. think I know the answer to this one. Do you make decisions based on emotion or are you a slave to rational thought? Emotion. Right. And then I justify it by um, uh, just uh, through the intellect. Yep. Good. I'm getting that answer a, a little bit lately. I like it. That's becoming very clear to me. All right. Very last question, Glenn. You're going on a road trip. Do you like to book the hotel, plan the route, know exactly where you're going, or do you just get in the car and drive? Exactly where I'm going. Oh, really? Very good. Oh, yeah. Glenn Matson, thank you so much for being the very first guest for 2017 on the Team Guru Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you so much and have a happy new year, guys, and, and a great time for you, David. Thank you very much for having me on. And that was Glenn Matson. As I mentioned earlier, Glenn really helped to change my thoughts on sales. I love the way he explained that good salespeople create an environment for making decisions. They open up space for respectful, mutual understanding, revealing emotion and intent, which paves the way for an honest decision-making process. And obviously, I really enjoyed Glenn's insight into the politics of the US right now. It's hard to speak to someone from that part of the world and not be interested in their experience of Trump land. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Glenn. You'll find it on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast at teams.guru forward slash podcast. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. You can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll be back soon for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. 